All right, and welcome to the next podcast where we look at the future of the wealth management industry and what the most successful firms in the wealth management industry will look like over the next five to 10 years. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect, and we are incredibly excited to have Jason Pereira stop by the next podcast today. Jason is a partner, senior financial planner and portfolio manager at Woodgate Financial and also wears many other hats. Um, Jason, thank you so much for joining us here today on the podcast. My pleasure, Mark. Jason, we first met at the Inside ETFs and the Wellstack Canada conference just a couple of months mm -hmm. ago. And I have to say your presentation on digitizing your practice end-to-end -end was one of the highlights of the event for me, if not you know the single highlight. I mean, I felt like you really brought to life so many different issues that advisors are thinking about and talking about, but not necessarily acting on in any way. Um, and more specifically, you know, when we talk about what the most successful firms will look like in the future of the wealth management industry, the research that we've done on this project it still shows us that very traditional sources of referrals and business development are still driving a lot of growth. Real, true digital marketing is something that only a handful of firms have figured out, right? Um, and it's something that I think your your presentation, the framework that you have, can actually add a, a tremendous amount of value for a number of our listeners here. So thank you for stopping by. I appreciate it. Before we get into the journey, um, Jason, like I mentioned at the outset, you do wear a lot of different hats. Um, if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about Woodgate, but also some of the other seats at the table that you have at various different companies in the, throughout the wealth management industry in Canada and the US, I'd appreciate that. So Jason, please, a little bit more about yourself. Oh, so we're doing two podcasts. Let's see how long this is going to take. Okay. So, um, <laughs> and thank you for your, thank you for your kind words. So, yes, I'm a partner of a small independent financial planning firm uh, that basically runs, um, well, help, help manages the lives of about 230 households. Uh, there's three client facing advisors, advisors, seven people on the team. We run a little, we run somewhere around 200 million dollars of assets. I tend to specialize and focus more so on clients with advanced corporate financial planning needs, as well as um, cross border situations. Because uh, American, what can I say? Yeah, you guys like to impose your tax code on the rest of the world. So that's that's my 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 day gig. As for everything else I do on the side, there's a lot of things. So uh, I generate a lot of content. I've had a long standing podcast in fintech. Uh, specifically called Fintech Impact, where that's got about 250 episodes where I um, interview different founders and people in the community just trying to understand what's going out there and educate people as to what exists and, and creating that kind of um, knowledge, that kind of approachableness to all these tech, tech solutions. I also have one in around my niche, which is uh, financial planning for Canadian business owners, where I specifically deal with issues pertaining to them. Uh, I am a columnist for the Globe and Mail uh, newspaper in Canada's financial advisor section. Uh, I sit a number of fintech advisory boards. Uh, and in, in terms of advocacy, I am on the board of two different institutions, two different associations. One is the Institute for Advanced Financial Planners in Canada. The other one is uh, the Financial Planning Association of Canada, which I co-founded. And uh, so I'm heavily involved in you know regulatory reform at the same time. So lots going on. Well, I appreciate that. And I thought it was important to just share the different roles that you have. So our audience has a good sense for the, the perspective that you have as well on not just the wealth management industry, but really a lot of the fintech, right, that is coming to light and to life um, and is really helping to transform a lot of the wealth management industry. With that, I'd love to just get into you know the specifics. I talked a little bit about your presentation. Mm -hmm. And when you were discussing digitizing your practice, what I you know, felt was really impactful for me is you weren't just talking about the importance right of being a more digital advisor 
you were actually showing people how to put a real process into place. And I felt like it was something that maybe not every advisor can, can implement, right? But most could. It felt really accessible. Um, and it felt like a playbook of sorts, right? And a really scalable, repeatable way to market yourself, onboard clients, and to grow your practice. So maybe we could start at the beginning of that journey, right? Sure. Um, starting with just how to raise awareness of your firm, your role, right? And how do you get people to recognize who you are and what you do? What's been most effective for you, Jason? And what advice would you give for our listeners? Oh, look, I mean, I'm a little bit different. I'd say I kind of do a lot of things passionately about this business, uh, about this industry. And I write a lot about that. I speak about it. I tweet about it. You name it, right? I'm very, very heavily involved about the development and the betterment of the industry. And that that brings attention. And so I, whether it be through uh, conventional newspaper articles that I've written or online things I've said or things I've done on social media, we are, you know, I, I started to say I've got a bit of spoil for riches in terms of the inflow. So I'd say what I do is about a combination of social media marketing and content marketing towards, through, through t- traditional uh, uh, news outlets primarily is where really the focus has been. And in addition to my podcast as well, which target specific niches. So the in terms of the framework I showed there, I said, okay, this is great. I've got all this stuff that I'm doing to try to draw attention, but how do I actually, you know, capture and then lead and then lead people through the funnel, right? And the example I gave there, and this is not meant to be working for everybody, because you can have sources from any number of things. You know, you can I've got friends with six, very successful YouTube channels or TikTok channels or or just really great newsletters. The bottom line is, is that you're going to capture the attention of a lot of people who are not necessarily going to want to work with you at that moment. They might be interested, but you know, the time's not right for them or they're just, they don't realize they have a problem, but they like your stuff. So how do you keep in contact with them? And I give the example I gave was the utilization of LinkedIn, right? So there's lots of LinkedIn lead gen firms out there. You have to filter through which one you want to utilize. A lot of them are using some technology to run these things. But you know, I have one that basically reaches out to a certain number of people per day with a couple of canned messages that provide some form of value. The podcast is, is a reference point for the um, for business owners. Uh, other other this is an estate planning tool I have that I basically offer for free through through LinkedIn to people who are in a certain demographic. So you, you craft a couple of messages that are impactful. And then the system just continually just drips out there. And what happens is, is that you do this for a couple of years and it does not take you know that many contacts to really get enormous. Like when you get to, I think the, the statistic I shared was, I think I got like 7,000 contacts, which is big. But that gives me, when you look at the first degree and then second degree connections, the second degree connections that I can people like, or who are people I can message on LinkedIn is basically everyone on LinkedIn. So it took 7,000 direct connections to get me access to everybody. Now, these people are seeing my, my, my LinkedIn posts, everything else, I, all the commentary I do. But I also have a, a marketing tool called Advisor Stream that basically will handle my, my newsletter and my social media posts. So what it'll do is it will do, there's really two types of social media to me. There's con, there's basically the stuff that you're, you're, you're specifically building yourself that's sincere around your voice. And then there's kind of what I call like presence and awareness, right? So it will, and what, what advisor stream is handles that it will take articles from publishers and publish them on to all my social media channels. And when someone sees that they want that and they click on it, they of course get a landing page that says, Hey, this is you know, this is something I provide people. Would you like to be a part of my newsletter? And I capture them at that point. So now they're captured in the newsletter system. And that newsletter is automatically being generated and going out to them once a week. So I have this slow drip in front of them. And that 
in addition to that, that their information has now been funneled through into my CRM. So I have their contact, some basic contact information for when it comes time, if they ever do reach out to me with the, to, to basically do that. But I don't have to stop there. In addition to the to the posting of social media content automatically, plus what I do gener uh, generally and the newsletter, there's also the ability for me to really take it, use that tool to go to the next level. I can see what their history of what they clicked on is. And I can find, let's just say that they're concerned about putting their kids through school. I can see that they've you know clicked on three or four articles. I can you know go in and see and look at their profile and say, hey, see that you're interested in putting your kids through school. This is a concern. Happy to talk to you about it. Here's another two or three articles I think might be of interest. And just kind of just kind of it's not a it's not a uh, a cold solicitation. They already mm -hmm. have given me information, but now it's like it's more of a oh okay yeah I did do that and this guy's actually taking the time to reach out. So. And of course, you want to make it easy for them to reach out as much as possible. So, of course, uh, both on my website and on the newsletter and in those solicitations, there's a link to my Calendly page for introductory calls, right? So there's always a call to action. There's always a way to, to do that. So by the time they book that first phone call, you know, I know where they came from. I know what they read. I have an idea of what their hot button issues are. But, you know, they've also had a, a time to experience who I am. They've, had, they've seen enough of the message, both, you know, the content that's, that's canned. And the stuff that is that is basically sincere in my voice that they've got a sense for who I am already in most cases before they even reach out. And then it becomes once they then there's an entire once once we basically met, we go through my normal process, which is an initial phone call to make sure that they're an adequate fit. Then we if where they are, we'll have a larger meeting with with the um, with the spouses involved because usually only one person calls initially, and we'll make sure that the, that this is that we are right fit for each other. And there's any number of very simple presentations put together that basically will take them through our value proposition, our pricing model, everything we're going to do for them. And when they're ready to finally onboard, if they tell us they want to move forward, by the time they get home, they've got an email in their inbox, which is our onboarding questionnaire generated through Precise FP, which will collect all information. And then we'll pump that information right into my CRM so I can utilize it in other places. So that's kind of like the top of funnel that I generally use all the way down to the conversion. Yeah, it's... Uh... I appreciate the way you laid that out because I think just starting at the very beginning, you, you're a content creator, right? Yes. Um, it would seem like more than anything, I say this a lot, you know, I started as a journalist. We have a number of journalists on the wealthmanagement.com team, but for what we do, we have to produce content with intent. Um, and it seems like that's exactly what you're doing. It's not random content about what may be happening in the markets you know, on a daily basis. You mentioned the estate planning tool you have. Um, you also mentioned you know, college savings. These are all functions of uh, what a, a financial advisor and a financial planner you know, really can do or do at their core for their clients. So I think just from my key takeaway is you know, having a process and your framework in place will get you very far. And, you know, having a really well-defined content strategy right, that you know, is directly aligned with your core services might be the most important part of what you do. And I, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that, Jason, but- No, I, I, I agree. And I, I think in general also, the one of the key things is that um, you know people will often come to me and say, okay, I want to digitize my practice. And the first thing I say is, okay, what's your process? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what's your process for, for, for client acquisition? What's your process for onboarding? What's your process for servicing? What, like, where are these processes? You can't digitize something that doesn't exist. You have to think through what you're going to do. And I, I'm a big believer, especially at the front end in the power of content marketing. And you said, I think you said content with intent. You're absolutely right, Mark, because look at the, every company, everyone who's, every advisor has ever dealt through, worked through a large dealership or a broker dealer or a large firm, you know, those companies, those firms basically develop very generic 
things that are trying to appeal to everyone. And mm -hmm. as a saying in marketing, I don't know who I got it from. It's when you try, when you, when you're trying to speak to everybody, you're speaking to no one, mm -hmm. nobody's the everyone. So the more you can hone in on a message that is specific to what matters to them, the more likely you get their, 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 their attention. Now, one thing I didn't mention about the advisor stream tool is I'm able to filter out topics, right? I'm able to filter out topics and periodicals. So I've lit, I've taken, I've gone through there and I've screened out the things that do not really fit with my message, right? I don't want people worrying about, you know, the, what's going on in the market in every last second, right? I don't want stock tips showing up in my, in, uh, on, on these articles, right? So those have all been filtered out to be closer and closer to my, you know, they're still general, but they're, they're crafted around my general message. So you can still be, you can still use broad general, uh, general stuff to some degree, yeah. as long as it's not in opposition to what you're doing. Yeah. And I, one other question I did have for you is also just on the, the frequency um, and how much content you're creating. I hear it all the time where people say, I get what you're saying and market makes sense that I need to be producing you know, really intentional content. I understand the power and the influence that I could have with really good you know, content, but I just don't have the time and the capacity to create all of the content that I might need to fill the top of the funnel. So, I mean, Jason, how much unique content are you actually creating on a regular basis? I'm releasing up to, I'm releasing between one and two podcasts per week, probably one written piece per week, countless tweets, half of them jokes, uh, you know, and then in addition to that, there's uh, you know, the advisor stream is posting to all those periodicals daily. So there mm -hmm. is, there's not a day that goes by where I don't appear in social media. Not a day. There's there's not a week that goes by where something more higher higher value comes up. But but Mark, I want to talk to you about the time issue. Okay, so I think it can be overwhelming to look at all this stuff and say, oh wow, that's a lot to do, right? You're absolutely right. I, I spend a fair amount of time, but it doesn't have to be right. Like you know, you're currently you know you're currently using a, a a provider who basically handles most of the podcast production, right? So do I, right? All I do is I have I basically set up a meeting. I basically, I record a Zoom call and I pass it off to my editor and my staff basically takes the, the, the content when it comes back and posts it, right? I've seen people who will, you know, they don't necessarily, are they're not necessarily going to sit down and write a blog post, mm -hmm. but they'll record a diatribe about, you know, here, you know, I want to talk about these five things having regarding college funding or these five things regarding retirement and, and basically record that, that audio, find someone on Upwork to write it and craft it into an actual article and then turn around and post it after you've read it. So it doesn't have to, if you're looking at doing it all yourself, yeah, it's a lot. But, you know, even if you, if you have a little bit of staff, it'll take a little bit of their time. If you, if you need something more complicated, like editing, you can outsource that for a very cost-effective level. Yeah, there's a, a lot available, right? And I love that every time you're talking about your process, you also have a recommendation for a tool or a network or some resource, right? That can help with it because it just brings to life how many different options advisors have now that they didn't have just three, four or five years ago. So you can only imagine what will be, you know, three, four, five years um, from now. Just to move the conversation forward a bit, you started to talk a little bit about the onboarding process. So now that we've touched on the awareness and the consideration, um, I am curious, you know, what your onboarding process looks like and what, in your view, a good digital onboarding process, but more specifically, a good digital onboarding experience for the client may look like. So there's, you know, there's where we are today and where I want to be in the future. And I'll specify that they're not the same thing. So currently, look, let's face it, the biggest obstacle in getting financial plans done is collecting information, right? We have to collect a ton of client information and they're never coming to you with it in a perfectly organized, labeled, digitized manner, right? It's just not happening. And there's a certain amount of data entry that has to happen. But, you know, what mine looks like right now, and I'm, I'm rehashing my questionnaires to try to kind of, try to streamline, you know, it's, it's a delicate balance between, between trying to get everything you need 
but also making it not overwhelming. It's really, it's, it can be very difficult. So you've got to constantly iterate on that. So, you know, when I look at my situation, I've already captured some basic lead gen information on them. So, you know, they're going to receive a precise FP questionnaire uh, link that's secure. They go into it, you know, the, their name, their spouse's name, they're already on there. Uh, their phone numbers and email, emails are already on there. So at least some of the contents are already there. Uh, and then they go through that questionnaire. And I always tell people on the front end, I apologize in advance. This is going to be a lot of work to get all this and stuff in there. But I think you're going to understand that two things. A, this is an opportunity to organize yourself and and, and help me do help me do, uh, do that with you. And B, there's an opportunity to basically, well, it's it's just an opportunity for you to see exactly how much work we're going to be doing because we're asking for all this information because we need it. So, you know, I begrudgingly, you know, that's the way it works right now. And then that pop that, that shifts over that information into my Google drive. And then in addition to, in addition to that into my CRM and then where, where I see this going and where I am working on some of this is that ideally that sort of secure questionnaire would be sent to them. You know, there's already a couple tools that will utilize data aggregation as a means of extracting information to prevent the consumers from doing that. So that's going to happen as well. There's a new tools for, for document collaboration, storage, and, and solicitation. I, I work with a company uh, called SideJour out of Canada that works in the U.S. also. That's uh, that's built a really good advisor uh, document sharing and collaboration tool. Um, and integrating that into a workflow whereby it it feels less burdensome, right? You know, I can, I can just link to other stuff. Stuff. Or, okay, you need a copy of this. I can take a picture with my phone and upload it. Try to make that as friction, you know, reduce the friction as much as possible. It's never going to be fully reduced. But I think the, the key here is that is to basically get through that as little pain as possible, but then but then not wait too long to give them something value, of value back. You know, the first step in our planning process is once we reviewed everything, is to come up with what we refer to as our, our uh, initial assessment. So like, hey, here's everything you say you own, everything you owe, uh, you owe. Here's all the goals and ambitions you said you want to do. Like, this is our document of understanding of our starting point. Does this look right? I mean, the fact that we're even giving them that, it's it's a summary already that that has demonstrated we're paying attention. We've organized everything they've given us. And, you know, if this is, if this is correct, uh, then we're good to go and move forward. So it's, it's going to, there's, you know, short of having a, you know, the, the future of a single app that contains all your personal information, you can just approve uh, it all being sent to someone else, which is something being worked on by various vendors. It's going to be painful, uh, but it doesn't mean you can't make it less painful. And I'll also throw in one last piece in that you can intermix the media. Like you can throw in one of the things we started doing now is recording video messages at different stages of the fact find explaining what it is we're doing and why we're doing it and why it's valuable right because by the time you're on the third or fourth page you're like oh this is getting monotonous but the video is like okay you know what that's a good point i want to get this done it nudges them along the system yeah it's uh incredible how scalable and repeatable a process like that is and how few people have something like that in place that i'm aware of um and obviously you're the architect of it, right? So it's easy for you to talk about it. It might be easy for you to implement, but I think there's a lot that you know, our audience can learn from your best practices and your experience and apply to their own onboarding experiences. And they're getting better by and large, I have to say. Um, and we've seen a lot of change and a lot of progress over the last couple of years here. Uh, just the, the final sort of part of the funnel or the marketing process um, that I wanted to touch on with you, Jason, and we didn't get into it too much in your presentation sure. at our event, um, I, I tend to underappreciate, you know, when we think about marketing, um, how important it is to communicate with your existing clients, right, as part of your overall marketing strategy and plan. So much of it is focused really on business development and client acquisition. Um, what are you doing to continuously engage your existing clients, whether they're clients for a year or clients for the last 10 years, to make sure that they're feeling 
the love. And obviously you, you do have one-to-one, you know, unique conversations, of course, yes. right? Um, but your standard comms plan for existing clients, how do you execute that? So, you know, the comms plan, you know, some of the stuff is is the same as the prospects. So they're getting the same exactly. newsletter. We're, we're going to be introducing a quarterly kind of market uh, video where we essentially we go over everything that happened in markets in the world at large and, you know, talk about a little bit about portfolio performance, but always come back to the fact that this is all in service of the plan. Um, but the thing is about the core of our business is that we have a very mapped out methodical process for what the experience looks like going forward in, in perpetuity, right? So we we have a very high touch service whereby we're meeting with clients uh, quarterly frankly. So I am never more than two to three months away from speaking to someone. So that entire thing about feeling the love and being aware of stuff, like being aware of what's going on with them, I am constantly on top of that. And the the reality is, is that when we're talking about in this business, when we're talking about um, financial planning and implementation, there's some quarters where we have a lot of stuff to do, but then there's other quarters where I'm just solely checking in and making sure that they're okay or finding out what's going on in their lives. And kind of as a best practice, because this is a quarterly thing, we like to make one of those meetings almost purely social, right? You know, we'll do, you know, beginning and end of year, we'll definitely, we got to do beginning and end of year business. Absolutely. But some point in the spring or fall, uh, summer, uh, spring, yeah, spring or fall or summer, we are going to try to make a point of meeting them face-to-face uh, at the, you know, they're not the face-to-face kind of people where they just, they just do the Zoom stuff all the time. Meeting them face-to-face for lunch, for coffee, for tea, whatever it is, and just having a social conversation, leaving business off the table. And it's really, it's a client, like our model's really based on client intimacy. So staying on top of that and staying on, when you, when you design, let's put it this way, the intimacy, the intimacy or staying on top of them in the marketing is designed into the process in itself through the value mm-hmm. proposition. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see how much has changed right over the last couple of years. And I think you know, one of the biggest changes you know, we're talking about your process and a lot of the tools that are now available that weren't available. But I think one of the biggest advantages that advisors have today that they didn't just a few years ago is how comfortable prospects and clients are doing business without ever actually having to meet you. So that's one of the main reasons I felt like we needed to have you on the next podcast, because there are a tremendous amount of opportunities. You said it before, and I'll say it, you know, in every podcast that I host, while it's a bear market right now, um, it is very much a bull market for advice. Um, and I think an advisor who's thinking three, four or five years ahead and is starting to put some of the practices and the processes in place that you have is going to be set up to be among, you know, the most successful right over that time period too. So Jason, thank you for stopping by and spending as much time with us as you did. Is there anything else we didn't touch on that you think would be important for a listener out there who's thinking about either taking their first step or just putting a real process in place, right? Not a random, I'm a rainmaker. I'm going to go out and get 10 to 15, $20 million of new business a year, but I'm going to put something in that is more of a one-to-many approach. Any final piece of advice? I would say this, okay, whether it be marketing or their entire process, first thing you got to do map out your, what your ideal process looks like, like sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil. And like, at this stage, this is what I want my clients to experience, start to finish at each part of the process and each piece of value delivery. Okay. Do that. Second thing is I can guarantee you there's a digital tool out there to enable every part of that. Just start Googling, start being aware of that. I mean, Michael Kitsis puts together that wonderful FinTech map with so many That's options. It. You can barely count them. So do that, but then realize this, don't try to boil the ocean, implement one thing at a time, and if it's a big, robust solution, like a, like a big CRM, like Salesforce, whatever it is, don't worry about trying to make everything work from day one. You want to implement, use, test, make sure you got it down, 
move on to the next piece. And if you just do that and take this Kaizen approach to digital improvement on a process that is your optimal, like you're starting from a point where you're not in the optimal process, you know what the optimal process looks like. And if you slowly digitize, at some point, you will reach that point in the journey where it's like, hey, this is completely implemented. I'm now seeing all the benefits of this. And you know what? I probably want to improve it. You never stop improving it, but you need to start. You need to start somewhere. You need to know where you're going. And if you do that, you can just start. The journey never ends, but it's a positive one that just gets you all kinds of productivity that you can then benefit from then in the future. Yeah, I think it's a great place to end. I would also just throw in as you know, a final thought too, you just experiment, right? Don't be afraid to fail. Um, there are going to be certain things that work and certain things that don't. Um, and you know, there are going to be certain things that you really love doing and others that you don't, right? Yeah. So just find the things that you love, find the things that work, right? And don't be afraid to fail. It's where we tend to learn the yeah. most. So and to add on to that, don't assume, like the biggest resistance point, I guess, my clients won't use this or they're not interested in that. Yeah. I've got news for you. You never tried. You never tried pulling them. You never tried using it with them. The honest truth is don't assume. There's a market. If, there, if these things are in the market and actually profitable as a solution, it's because people are using them. So why, you know, the honest truth is your clients may be using something similar already for different purposes. So don't be afraid to experiment, like you said. Jason, thank you very much for stopping by the podcast. I appreciate it. It was great to have an extended live conversation with you and pleasure listening to you talk a little bit more about your process and how you've built such a great firm over the last several years. So appreciate you stopping by. My pleasure. All right, everybody. And thank you for joining this episode of the next podcast. We're looking forward to having everybody on the next episode of the next podcast very, very soon. We'll, we'll be focusing on the client experience and what the client experience of the future looks like. On behalf of the Informer Wealth Management Group, I'm Mark Bruno. Thanks for stopping by, everybody. Jason, thanks for stopping by as well. See you all soon on the very next episode.